Samuel chapter 27. If you've uh, if you found your place, stand with me please and uh, as we are respectful to reading the word of God. <coughs> 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1, the Bible says, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me, to seek me any more in the coast of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. And David arose, and he passed over with six hundred men that were with him, unto Achish, the son of Maoch, king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day, wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a, a full year and four months. And David and his men went up and invaded the Jeshurites and the Gezerites and the Amalekites. For those nations were of old, the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even unto the land of Egypt. Verse, verse 9. And David smote the land, and neither left man nor woman alive, and took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, Whither have you made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah, and against the south of the Jeramielites, and against the south of the Kenites. And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, Lest they should tell on us, saying, So did David, and so will be his manner all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. And Achish believed David, saying, He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him, therefore he shall be my servant forever. Amen. We just bow for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much, God, for all that you've done for us so far, Lord God, you are so, so good to us, and God, we pray that you would uh, help me now to be a help to your people, God, that you would help me to be an encouragement, and God, that you would speak through me, Lord, that you would help me to uh, to be cleansed of all sin, Lord God, you know that I'm not fit to preach your word, but God, I'm here, and God, uh, these people need to hear from you, help me to do so, please, in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Okay, maybe see this. Um, Okay, so as I said, we've been looking at uh, the life of David when, uh, when I've been up, and um, David started out, obviously, we all know the story, like, but some, some people may not do, so I'll just briefly recap. Um, David started out as a shepherd, a shepherd boy, not aware where God would take him. He was anointed by uh, Samuel the prophet in chapter, se- uh, chapter 16 to be the next king, despite him being the youngest of eight brothers. <clears throat> now that must have been an encouragement to David because obviously he's, he's got older brothers and yet God picked him could have picked anybody else but he picked, uh, he picked David and we touched on why last time <clears throat> knowing that God had a purpose for David and that nothing could happen to David until he became king and that give you confidence wouldn't it now if we fast forward a little bit David's killed Goliath he's now married to Saul's daughter and he was a general a famous general in, the, in Saul's army now Saul was told by Samuel um, that he would lose the kingdom to a man after God's own heart. And uh, Saul suspected, especially after when um, David killed Goliath, that, so, that David was going to be this man. So David, sorry, Saul kept eyes on David and watched him, and eventually he sought to kill him, and he tried to kill him multiple times. Now, um, Saul's son, Jonathan, he was next in line for the kingdom, and he was very close to David. They were very, very close. They were very good friends. And um, even he knew that David would be king one day and it wouldn't be him. And even that, when Saul's seeking to kill you and yet the next in line to the throne understands that he's not going to be the king. David's going to be the king. God's anointed David to be the king. It's, it's going to happen. Jonathan won't take over. David will. So, um, anyway, that must have been an encouragement to him at a, at a time where he's feeling like everyone's against him. So, Saul was consumed with killing David and it was sort of... All he ever thought about, he was consumed with getting David out of the out of the picture. And I can't understand why he really wanted to do it, because at the end of the day, God would only move Saul out of the way when it was his time to move. But yet Saul was consumed with the wrong things, and we've looked into why Saul did what he did in, in days gone by, like and whatnot. And um, Saul was consumed with killing David. That, that was all he wanted to do, which forced David to go on the run. 
So we fast forward a little bit further and Saul's been hunting David for a long time now. It's been it's been years and Saul's trying to track down and kill David and all those who were loyal to him. David didn't come on his own. David had um, 600 men who were loyal to him. And uh, we touched on, I think it was last time or maybe the time before, David did a good deed for uh, for a man called Nabal. Um, he looked after his, uh, his shepherds and his flock. Um, when he didn't have to, he, he, he did a, he did a favour for Nabal, if you like, and he, he, he asked for some sort of a reward, nothing, nothing special. Like he just said, whatever, whatever you deem fit, um, if, if you know, we'll, we'll take it gladly, kind of thing. And Nabal, instead of giving him something, he just insulted him and, and sent, sent the messengers on his way, which angered David. I mean, as I touched on this last time. You can sort of understand. Um, he's been insulted and he overreacted and he wanted to kill Nabal, he wanted to kill all his family, he wanted to kill everybody. But only for, um, for Abigail, Nabal's wife, who ended up becoming David's wife, talking, to some, talking some sense into David while, uh, before he actually made it to Nabal, ready to kill him. So, um, while, Nabal, sorry, while Abigail spoke to David, she also reminded him that he would be king one day. So... Um, David stopped what he was doing, realised that this was a path that he was going to go down, which was not what God wanted him to do. So he stopped doing that. And obviously, we looked at just quickly there, three different occasions where David was given some encouragement um, and reminded that he would be king one day. It was, it was a promise. God had promised it. It was going to come to pass. But um, he's endured this trial of persecution from Saul for so long. But yet, in chapter 27, something's happened. David, the great man of faith, the great general of Israel is so discouraged now that he's about to give up. And um, we find that, obviously I know when I said to you when we first came in January, I said, does anyone do resolutions? Did anyone, do any, did anyone try and do any resolutions this uh, this January? No, not, yeah. to be fair, not a lot of people do it anymore, do they? But I think it's because we uh, we put so much pressure on ourselves to to, to do something. We'll go, oh, I'll, I'll do this. And one of the common ones is to, to lose weight and to exercise and things like that. And it's all honourable, these things that we try and do. You know, some people say, oh, I'll try and quit smoking and, and the list goes on and on. But you'll find that um, the, the, the most common one I tend to find is if you go to a gym in January, you'll find that gyms are cram-packed full of people who are like, I'm going to make a new me, new start and all this kind of thing. But yet you go in February and you see the numbers start to dwindle. And if you go in July, you'd never know that these people even went to the gym because there's nowhere near as many people who, who started out and um, I get that though because obviously people get discouraged for many different reasons people people give up because you know don't see results it's too difficult just um, all sorts of reasons for being discouraged and quitting and um, you know David had his own battle <laughs> with discouragement he'd been on the run for Saul or from Saul for years he was constantly looking over his shoulder for um, trying to evade Saul now, if we look back in chapter 26, uh, I know obviously I haven't touched on it here today, like, but God, in chapter 26, God had allowed David um, to make his way into Saul's camp and get right up up to Saul where he could have, he could have swung a sword and it would have been all over. His troubles would have been over. Um, God had caused a deep sleep to come on the army because if you think about it, King Saul wouldn't have been um, easy to get to. He'd have had plenty of guards. None of them guards would have been falling asleep because it would have been, the penalty for that would have been death. But yet God caused a deep sleep in chapter 26 when we read it to come upon the people so that David could go right up to Saul and kill him and it would all be over with. And I suppose the temptation would have been there because obviously um, Ahinoam, oh, I forgot the guy's name now, but he, um, or Abishai, it is. It'll come to me. Uh, but he tried to convince David to um, to kill Saul. But Saul, uh, sorry, but David wouldn't kill Saul because even though Saul's moved away from God, he's gone mad and he's jealous. He's so full of rage that he wants to kill David. He's still God's anointed. God anointed King Saul uh, to be king, and only when God's timing is right will he remove Saul from being the king and he'll set up David being the king it wasn't for David to do David realised that it wasn't his time yet but um, as we say that was in chapter 26 but you move over to chapter 27 <coughs> this trial is beginning to wear David down now um, and little did David know that 
this trial was almost ready to come to an end. God was going to soon deal with Saul. We'll touch on this next time. And he'll fulfill the promise that Samuel had set down years before. Now, just because we're Christians does not mean that we won't have problems. You always hear these preachers say, especially these ones on the TV, like, you know, if you trust the Lord Jesus, all your problems will go away. Now, that's not strictly true. I mean, you know, when you get saved, you know, you'll never burn in hell. You know, and, that, and that's a pretty big thing to, uh, to praise the Lord for. But um, you become a target of the devil when you get saved. Um, we're not promised a life of sunshine and rainbows, but we are promised a home in heaven with, uh, with God the Father. Okay, sorry, is that making a noise? Yeah. Okay. Um, sorry, where was I? Um, yeah. So we're not we're not promised sunshine and rainbows. We're uh, we are promised a home in heaven, and that's our hope. Um, now we face difficulties, we face problems, we face situations that can bring us down. Um, situations that can discourage us, that can defeat us, and that make us want to quit. Now, unfortunately, some people do quit when the uh, when the going gets tough. And the sad thing about it is, they tend to quit when they're so close to the victory. Now, had David known that he was so close to victory, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have crossed over into the land of the Philistines, where you know the, the, the Philistines were the ancient enemy of Israel, and, and now David's. So no choice but to go and seek asylum from the enemy king. And, and not only that, he's, he's aligned himself with him. So David must have been in a pretty bad place for him to feel that he's got no other choice to do this. And um, if you think about it, obviously he's been fighting the Philistines for years. He's a general in the army. They've come up against the Philistines before. And as we've touched on, he fought Goliath. Goliath was the Philistine champion and he beat him. So now it seems like... Why has he done this thing? Why has he gone over to the enemy camp and, and asked for them to, uh, to give him refuge? Now, um, remember how I said that we become a target for the devil? The devil is a very cunning, cunning person and uh, he's, got very many, he's got many weapons that he can use against God's people. And one of those weapons is discouragement. Now, if you're saved today, the devil can't touch your salvation. Your salvation is assured, as we've, uh, as we've read in the Bible. Your salvation, once you get saved, it can never be taken off yet. Because if you think about it, you never did anything to earn it. Okay. Anyone who's trusted the Lord Jesus, if you understand it, we never did anything to earn our salvation. Our salvation was paid for already. So if we did nothing to earn our salvation, we can't do anything to lose it. But what the devil can do is he can prevent you from living a life that God would have you to live. And uh, like a, a life of joy and peace and strong confidence with God. But... The devil wants you to live a defeated, discouraged life, full of doubt, full of fear. And if you're not saved here today, or you've got no little interest, or if you're watching online, you're not really interested in what I'm saying, the devil's not much concerned with you. You're no threat to him. He's happy where you are. He's happy that you're not listening. He's, he's, he's more than happy that you're not interested in getting saved. And he'll distract you, and he'll use many, many methods of... Um, tricks and manners and schemes and all that kind of thing to get you to prevent sorry, to prevent you from coming to God. The devil doesn't want you to read your Bible. The devil doesn't want you to pray. The, the, the devil doesn't want you to tell others about Jesus. He doesn't want you to come to church. And the list goes on and on. But yet, when we get saved, we're to put on the armour of God. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take, you unto, take unto you the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery or quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the Bible says that we're going to be attacked, so that's why we need the armor. Now, when the devil fires darts of discouragement at us, we need to go to the Bible. We need to go to the book. We need to read God's promises. We need to hold up that shield of faith. And when we do hold that shield of faith up, them darts will bounce off. God said it. That settles it. 
Mm. And I believe it now. We were only talking the other day, John Wembley. Sometimes yeah. people get that, that phrase backwards. They say, God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. It's not the right way, John, is it? It's the other way. It's God said it. That settles it. Whether you believe it or not, God said it. That settles it. Yeah. <clears throat> and I believe it. So, Amen. and all there are times where we can get down. And all there's times where we can get frustrated. And it feels like we want to give up. We don't have to look at our situation. Obviously, we've been around the pastor now for seven months. Now, when, when the pastor left, we could sit right, that's it. We've got no one to preach for us. There's no point in going on. And shut the doors, we could have done that. But, you know, um, we, we, we've, got, we've got to keep going. Now, it's discouraging as well. I mean, we can be discouraged but because we've got no pastor. We can be discouraged as well. I mean, we were only saying the other day that there are people we don't see in church anymore we used to see. And we've lost we've lost people along the way for whatever reason. And it's discouraging that we don't see them no more. And for some reason, they don't want to come back. Now, um, these darts of discouragement come from the enemy. If you ever feel discouragement, they're like these attacks, they're coming from the devil. And the devil would, know, would love nothing more than for this church to close. And love nothing more, because obviously... You know, we're a testimony to the people around here. And if we close, that's a devastating effect on the testimony. So we come back to this book. We come back to the Bible. And we realise that we don't follow a man. We only talk about this just a, just a minute ago, John. We, we do not follow a man. We follow God. It's his church. And he'll build it in his time. And he's got someone lined up for us. I'm, I'm sure he's got a pastor lined up. We may well feel discouraged about it today. I mean... There are times I feel discouraged about it, but victory's around the corner. You know, we've just got to hang in there. And uh, it could be sooner than we think. But there are days when we all go to these dark places of discouragement and despair and things like that. It's natural, it's understandable. But uh, I like what Winston Churchill said. He, he said it best if you're going through hell, keep going. And it's true. I mean, we may well go to these, these dark places of despair and discouragement and depression and whatnot. But we as Christians should never dwell there. We may visit there from time to time, but we should never stay there. God doesn't want us to live there. He doesn't want us to live like this. We don't need to feel defeated. The Bible says in Romans 8.37, Nay, in all things, or sorry, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And how true is that, right? Okay, so um, that was my introduction. I've got three short points and then uh, and then I'll be done. So uh, my first point is that David's perspective was wrong. Now in First uh, Samuel chapter 27, verse 1, it says, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me then I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in the coast of in any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. Excuse me, one second. <clears throat> so David had forgotten about all the times that uh, God had protected David from Saul. There was many times where he could have done it. Um, but God God kept him safe. And God allowed him to do certain things. I mean, he allowed in chapter 26, David made it through all the defences of Saul, went right up to Saul, could have done could have done the deed, and all his problems would have been over. But yet, you know, he still didn't do it. But David, along the way, has become overwhelmed by the situation, and he's lost his focus on God. And he's about to make a decision that was to affect not only him, but his family and all these loyal soldiers that he's got with him. Now, when we make decisions... They don't just affect you, they affect the people around you. You've got a circle of influence and you'd be surprised about how many people you touch and who you influence. It's, uh, it's more than you think. Now with all that's going on in the world today, it's easy to be discouraged. You only need to turn on the news for like five minutes or something like that and there's plenty of things to get down about. But I'm thankful that my hope, as the song says, is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. And righteousness. Yeah. And on Christ the solid rock I stand, and all the ground is sinking sand. All the stuff that's going on in the world, I don't need to worry about it. I try not to watch the news if I can. I, I very, very rarely ever pick up a newspaper because it's it's depressing. It's discouraging, isn't it? With all that's going on in the world, I won't even touch on it because it's, uh, it's just, it is uh, so discouraging. But um, while I was preparing for this, I was reminded of, of a preacher. 
don't know if you've heard of him. Curtis Hudson, his name was. He's uh, he's in glory now. But he had plenty to uh, to be discouraged about. And uh, while he was singing, sorry, while he was preaching, he sang this song. I'm not going to sing this song for you, so oh. I'll just read it. No, yeah. sorry. Uh, I don't want to ruin it. He's on YouTube, though. I say if I, if I try and do it, I'll slay it. But you know, um, it goes. Once I wandered out in sin, had no peace, no joy within, and my soul was burdened down with pride. Then my Savior came along, and he showed me I was wrong, and he placed me on the winning side. Well, I'm on the winning side. Yes, I'm on the winning side. Out in sin, no more will I abide. I've enlisted in the fight for the cause of truth and right. Praise the Lord, I'm on the winning side. I will never have, a f have fear, for my Lord is ever near. And in him, so often I confide. He's the keeper of my soul, since I gave him full control, and he placed me on the winning side. Now, um, if you if you go sorry if you YouTube this like you you can see the video at the time he was singing this song mm. he was weak he was ill he was actually dying of prostate cancer when uh, when he sang that song now you can see that despite the situation this man was dying and he, he wasn't in good shape but he hadn't given up when people probably would say you know I could understand if he did give up but um, the devil wanted him to turn from God it was another another tool. You know, it's all over for you now. There's no point in carrying on. But he didn't. He kept going. He kept preaching. And we'll never know, I'm sure, well, I'm sure we will do one day, uh, how many souls came to Christ as a result of him not giving up. Because he, he carried on even though he had cancer. And many souls came to Christ as a, as a result of it, I'm sure. So um, David's, perspective, David's perspective was wrong. That's our first point. But our second point is David's patience was weary. Now we look in uh, verse 7. Uh, at first Samuel twenty seven and it says and the, at that and, and the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. So <clears throat> when I said to you he's uh, he stuck asylum from um, from Saul with the Philistines, he spent sixteen months sixteen months with the Philistines. He doubted he must have doubted that he'd ever become king. Now sometimes our trials can last days, weeks, months or even years and the Bible's full of people. We had to wait on God's promises to be fulfilled. Now, we live in a day and age where if you want something, it's a couple of taps on your phone and you can get it. You can get anything from uh, food or you can apply for a loan or a mortgage or anything like that. Like within a couple of seconds, if you're looking for something, you can normally find it quite quick. There's no waiting. There's no, um, like I try and explain to the kids about, like, you know, instead of Google, we'd have to go and get to a library and take out the book. <coughs> And things like that. And obviously, it's not like that no more. Now, um, there was a time where I remember—I forget which one it was. And I think Liam was um, was sitting there playing his iPad or something like that. And he went, "Oh, this game's taking such a long time to load." And I was like, "How long have you been waiting?" And he went, "Oh, it's been a, it's been a few minutes." And I went, "You think you've got problems? A few minutes?" I said. Uh, so I, I started telling him about what I said. You don't know you're born. I thought. Starting to show me age here now because I said when we were kids we had a Commodore 64 and mm -hmm. anyone had a Commodore 64 yeah. and um, the games were like these tape cassettes <laughs> and uh, what made it even worse was he said what's a tape cassette and I went oh <laughs> and I thought I haven't got one to show you like but you know that's how far we moved along so um, now these Commodore 64s these were the test of patience the games would take anywhere from 30 minutes to a couple of hours to load and yeah. uh, sometimes, like, I, I remember I'd go to school, I'd put the game on, I thought it'd be ready, it'd be ready for me when I'd come home, and I'd come home and I'd find that it's crashed halfway through and I'd have to start again. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just funny when uh, when they say, oh, it's, you know, I've been waiting a couple of minutes, I can't wait no longer. And, and it's like, you don't understand, you know, uh, it was never as easy to get the things that you sort of desperately want now. Now, to be fair, it's a good thing that we, that we can get things quickly now, but in the same breath uh, we get so impatient that we expect things now 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 and we, we treat God the same way it's sort of you know God's like God doesn't work on our timetable God's got his own timetable and um, when we want something God's like hang on a sec you know I've got my perfect time and it's not not when you want it it'll be when it's when it's his perfect time now um, a couple of examples of, the, of this would be uh, Abraham God told Abraham that he'd be the father of many nations, yet he had no children. Now God promised that Abraham would have a son. Now from the time that God promised Abraham 
that he'd have a son to have actually given that promise or fulfilling that promise was 25 years. Now, God used that 25 years to build his relationship with him before that happened. Noah, God told Noah to build the ark. Now, when you understand the dimensions, obviously I haven't got them with me now, like, but the, the dimensions of what was to be built was a massive undertaking, even back in them days. And there was no power tools, there was no jigsaws, no circular saws, nothing like that, it was all hand tools. So you can imagine that it would have been a really hard job. Now, obviously, in my job, I get bogged down sometimes on certain jobs, and I go, oh, I can't wait to finish this job, it's just it's getting me down. But can you imagine going and doing the same job for 120 years? That's what Noah had to put up with. Noah had to do this. Noah did the same job for 120 years. And I'm sure when, uh, when Noah was doing the building and it took 120 years, he must have thought, when's God ever going to send this rain? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure he must have got discouraged because at the end of the day, he built the ark far away from water. So straight away, the people who were living around him used to mock him. Thinking, why are you building this boat in the middle of nowhere? There's no water nearby. What are you playing at? And obviously, day after day, Noah would tell the people, God's gonna judge you. God's gonna, you know, gonna send the rain. You know, you need to get right with God. And every day, no one would listen to him. And that went on for 120 years. But at the end of the day, God couldn't send the rain until Noah built the boat. God had to build the ark. Sorry, Noah had to build the ark before the rain could come. And that's just how it had to be. Now, Israel, another example, they spent hundreds of years in, in captivity before God would ever deliver them, you know, uh, and the list goes on and on. Now, uh, David's, sorry, third point would be David's prayer was one. Now, if you look back in the chapter, <clears throat> look back in the chapter with me, right, can you see a time where David prays and asks God about his decision, what he's about to make? Does he ask God for any, uh, any guidance about it? If you look, you won't find it because it's not there. But David said in his heart, he consulted with himself. He said in his heart, he's talking to himself. He's, he's making his own mind up. He's not asking for God's, God's counsel. He's not asking for guidance. Now, how many times can we say that we leave out God from our decisions? We make loads of decisions every day. I'm guilty of it myself. I, I do it all the time. And um, we don't ask for God's guidance. And, you know, Even down to the silliest of things like, you know, where am I going to go? What am I going to eat? You know, things like that. We never ever get God involved in these decisions. And sometimes our decisions are quite big decisions. And if we don't ask God for guidance in it, we can go down the wrong path that God wouldn't want us to go down. Now, um, you wouldn't believe that David's gone over to the enemy, especially the Philistines as well. Of all the, of all the people he could have gone to, he gone to the people who he's been he's been killing for years. Now. Um, he did this just so he could get Saul off his back because Saul had been hunting him and hunting for years and years but in order to um, to get Saul off his back he's had to make compromises because when he got to uh, live in Ziklag he had to do things like lying and murder just so he could stay there and obviously he's just he's traded one problem for another problem now Proverbs 3.5 says trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So there are times in life when we don't understand what God wants us to do or why he wants us to do it. Uh, but as we read, um, we need to trust the Lord despite what we may think, despite what we may feel. And, um, and when we do, God will make our way clear. Now there's a, an illustration, I, I sort of, I've never ever forgot this, I thought it, it's prevalent like so, I'll bring it to you now. Um, years ago, I watched a, a, a boxing fight on the TV, and um, I've never ever forgot this fight. But sadly, I've forgotten the guy, the guy's name, who it was. And I did try and find out who it was. I did try and recall it because I, I, I never ever thought to be standing in the pulpit preaching about a kind of thing like. But um, I forgot the guy's name. The Lord wouldn't give me his name, so I, I, you know you'll have to bear with me. Like, but it's a true story. So um, he was fighting for the title that night, and his outcome would be decided in 12 three-minute rounds. Now the guy looked ready for the fight, he'd done all the preparation and um, he looked ready but in order to beat the champion you either have to knock him out or you have to score, you have to outbox him and win on the decision on the scorecards. Now um, the fight was a good scrap, the challenger was, uh, was getting the best of the champion and um, everyone agreed, the commentators, I was sitting there watching and I thought this guy he's going to win, he's definitely um, 
not going to lose this fight. He was up on the scorecards going uh, as the rounds were going on, and he was he was going to win the fight. Now, in between rounds, the trainer would sit there. Uh, sorry, the trainer would tell him what he needs to do and send them back out. But as the fight was going on, you could see the, the challenger was starting to tire. He was starting to uh, to fade out a little bit, and he was still up on points. He was still doing well, but you could see he was starting to uh, to run out of steam. And he and he got to the tenth round, and he come back, and everyone was saying, "There's no way this guy can lose this fight now." Like you know, bar him getting knocked out, this this is this is over. And um, he, he was so far ahead on the cards, and he came back to the corner, and he sat down, and the camera went to the, to the corner as it as it sometimes does, and uh, no one believed what could, what was going to come next. The um, the boxer turned around to his trainer and said, "I'm finished. I, I've had enough. I, I, I can't go on. Pull me out of the fight." And the trainer said, "What? I can't believe you want to you want to pull out. You've won this fight. You know, there's no way." You, I'm, you can't lose this fight, and he said, "I'm not interested. I, I'm, I'm done. I can't do no more. I'm, I'm exhausted." So the trainer said, "Look, you know, I, I need a little bit more from you. You, you, you. This fight is won. All you've got to do is just get up and carry on. There's, by you getting knocked out, there's nothing you can do." So um, he pleaded with him, and he managed to get him up. I, I was surprised that he got him back up, and he uh, and he sent him out for the eleventh round. Now in that eleventh round. He, he took a bit of a beating. He didn't get knocked out, but he um, it wasn't good. Like he was starting to get hammered a little bit, and um, he, but he made it through. So obviously the the commentators and everything were stunned, and the, the cameras went straight to the corner as soon as it was finished. And um, he sat down and he he said, "That is it. I can't go again. I, I can't do it again. I, pull me out the fight." And the trainer looked at him and said, "Look, this fight is won. You've already won." You just need, I need three more minutes from you and this fight is won. And he said, I, I, I can't do it, I, I'm exhausted, pull me out, I don't want to fight no more. Now the trainer did something that sort of never left me really, I, I sort of, I've never seen it before, I've never seen it since. He grabbed hold of the, of the guy's face and he said, do you trust me? And the, and the boxer said, uh, yeah. And he said, right, I need three more minutes from you. Three more minutes and you've won this fight. If you quit now, you'll regret this for the rest of your life. And he, and he pleaded with him and pleaded with him and pleaded with him. And he managed to get through to this guy. And he got up and he got back into the fight. He, he finished. He, he, was, he was taking more shots than he needed to, but he, won the, he, he got through the round. The boxer, he won that fight, but he didn't get the belt in the ring because the boxer was that exhausted that when he finished the fight, he collapsed and they had to rush him out on a stretcher and take him straight to hospital because he was that exhausted. He, he put absolutely everything into that fight to uh, to win. Mm -hmm. Now um, he uh, he, did, he didn't die. This guy like he did he did recover um, and he did get his belt. But he had, he had to get his belt on a on a TV show the following week because um, obviously the uh, he'd been rushed to hospital and whatnot. But um, it was it took it took everything he had to stay in that fight. Because he could have quit, he could have imagined. Could you imagine if he'd have quit, knowing full well everyone else, everyone else around, but him knew that this fight was his. It was, it was done. He'd, he'd already won, and all he had to do was stay in there. But he was so desperate to quit. Could you imagine the regret of knowing if he'd have quit, how close he was to victory, and yet giving up? Now, <clears throat> as a Christian, we have our own battles, but. God is with us, like this trainer was. He was with him for. He's with us for every round. He tells us what to do. He gives us his word and he guides us through. But the difference between the boxer and the Christian is that the Christian's already won the fight. The boxer hadn't won the fight until the very end. But we're not fighting for victory. We live in victory. God's already given us the victory. We don't need to uh, to fight for the victory. We just need to stay in there. Right. <clears throat> now um, I was, was see, going to see if we could sing it today. But we we haven't got it so. Um, as I said, we don't fight in victory, we already have the victory. We, I was going to say that we sing the song, Victory in Jesus, but we haven't got the music for it. But you know the song, we have the victory in Jesus. Now, we may get tired, we may get knocked down, we may want to quit, but God knows how much we can take. He knows what we can, what, sorry, He knows that we can make it through if we trust Him and we don't give up. Now, David in chapter 27 took a beat. He's down, but he's not out. And as we see um, later on, he does get back up. Now, 
what am I trying to say? God doesn't want you to quit. He's given us the victory already. He just needs us to trust him. If we trust him, especially when it gets tough, and we don't give up, he'll give us, he'll give us the victory. Now, how do we not give up? What do we do? Um, we need to keep doing what is right. We need to keep doing what is right. And you say, what is that? And you say, well, if you don't know, read the Bible, pray, study the Word of God, talk to people about Jesus. You know, things, when they get tough, um, can cause you to want to pull away from God. It's sad, really, but I, I see it far too often where instead of, when, when tough times come, people back off and they go, oh, I don't want no more church and, you know, forget all that. And it's sad, really, because it's the absolute last thing you should do. You know, when times get tough, you, you need to cling to God. You need to get closer to him because at the end of the day, he's the only one who can help you. It, and it, pulling away from him, it, it's like cutting your own arm off. It, it's, it's counterproductive. So, um, stay in the Word. If you if you've never read it before, I challenge you to read it. Obviously, we're talking about resolutions before. Like you know, start reading it. You don't have to read a lot, an awful lot all the time. Just make a start. God wants you to to draw closer to Him. He wants a relationship with you, but you're not going to get into a relationship with him or you're never going to get a deeper relationship unless you read his word. It's just, that's just the way it is. But <clears throat> um, what I'm trying to say is if you're a Christian today and you're having a tough time, don't give up because victory is almost around the corner. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got plenty to be discouraged about but we've also got plenty to be encouraged about. You know, God is our Father, Jesus is our Saviour, Heaven is our home. Yeah. And, you know, if you're saved, then... Praise the Lord. You know, that's the uh, the be all and end all. But, you know, if you're watching today and you're not saved, you're not a Christian, you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus, you need to you need to realise that God loves you and he wants you to go to heaven. But there are certain conditions that need to be met in order for you to go to heaven. If you want to go to heaven, you need to realise that we are all sinners. The Bible says... As it's written, there's non-righteous, no, not one. That means absolutely everybody who's ever been born <coughs> by the Lord Jesus is a sinner. We're all sinners. We've all done wrong. If you've ever told a lie, that's just enough to just enough sin to make you a sinner. And that sin has a consequence. And obviously, as we read in the Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Because we've sinned, we've got no choice, but God's got no choice but to send us to hell because God can't allow sin into heaven. And obviously, um, the only other place that God has prepared is hell. And now, hell was never meant for us. Hell was never meant for men or for, for, for mankind. But God made hell for the devil and his angels. But if God can't send us to heaven, he's, gonna, he's got to send us to hell. But God never wanted us to go to hell. He never, he never did. And obviously, that's why Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in our place. He did all the work. We don't have to do anything for it, as I said before. You don't have to earn your salvation because we can't earn our salvation, as we, as you said last week, John. It's not by works; it's by faith, grace and faith. It's um, we can't do nothing to earn it. We can't do nothing to lose it. <clears throat> and you need to realise that our sin, Jesus paid for. And if you understand that and you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, and you put your trust in Him, not trusting any other thing, it's only Jesus and what He did on the cross for you and that Jesus promised that he'd take you to heaven when you die. It's as simple as that. I Years ago, I used to think it was all, oh, your good works will be outweighed, your bad works, and if, you, if you've done enough good, you'll get into heaven. And I thought, obviously, looking back now, thinking, what a shaky ground to be on there. You know what I'm saying about this solid rock? That sinking sand, thinking that kind of thing, you know? Um, that my good will outweigh my bad. You know, if, you could never live a life of peace knowing that you, you, you might live a really good life and then the last day you mess it all up and you die and you go to hell what kind of a life would that be to live <clears throat> be no life at all but um, God loves you God wants you to go to heaven he made it all possible simply as we said uh, simply trust in Jesus that is all uh, not going to church not being a good person I was only teaching the kids last week and uh, so what about going to church you know you, you've got to go to church so the thief never, the thief on the cross never went to church the thief died on that cross and God promised him that he'd be in heaven because of his trust and his faith in Jesus. Not, yeah. Nothing else, not baptism, 
no, good works, none of that stuff, all about simply trusting Jesus. And I pray that if somebody's watching today or in the future, that you would uh, put your faith and trust in Jesus and that you too could have the victory just like any child of God has got the victory. So um, don't give up is what I'm saying. We can, we can, God said we can do it. We just need to give him three more minutes. Amen. Okay, let's, uh, let's bow our heads. Amen. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we can uh, that we can look to you when we're discouraged. And God, uh, there are times when we uh, when we visit them dark places, Lord, where we feel like giving up, and that um, things get on top of us, Lord, and that we we want to quit. But God, we're thankful that you love us and that you've made it possible that we don't have to live in these places. We can uh, we can live in victory because you've paid it all. You've given us the victory, and that victory is through Jesus. We pray that you'd help those who are struggling today. God, we've all got struggles and problems. We pray that you'd uh, help us to uh, to draw closer to you, to uh, to lean on you more, and to draw closer to you. And uh, we pray that you'd help us to uh, to make some decisions today that uh, we would uh, fellowship with you more, that we would read more, that we would just learn more about you, Lord, and that we would tell others of you, and that we would be uh, challenged and, and grow to be more like Jesus, because that's who, uh, who our Saviour and our guide is. God, we pray that you would be with those who are uh, here today, God, that you'd help them with what's going on in their lives, that you'd bless their families, and that you would uh, keep them safe, and that you would... Uh, Help us as we go through this week to be mindful that we live in victory, Lord. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear or doubt because you paid it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, um, I don't think there's any announcements. Is there any announcements, John? Uh, yes. Um, next Sunday we have a visitor, Tom Baker. Oh, Tom Baker next week? He's been oh, right, before. I didn't realise it was next week. Yeah. He'll be preaching next week, so... Tom Baker from, uh, yeah. from Ireland preaching next week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was here, how long ago was it, John? Was it six weeks ago? Yeah, it was a while ago. Oh no, preach. October it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, good yeah. preacher. Don't want to miss him, like he's, yeah. um, he's very good, isn't he? Yeah, he's a biblical archaeologist, so... Yeah, 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 he's got his own YouTube channel, yeah, I've had a little yeah. look at that. Yeah. Uh, biblical archaeologist, yeah. Or, um, but yeah, so he's here next week. Yeah, I've gone for three, four nights. Yeah, yeah, he's staying with John, so we're there. He's there. What are you making yeah. for him, John? Yeah, he's, he's, Haggis. He said that's the only thing he's not looking forward to, but he said it's going to be good. <laughs> yeah. They have charged an extra for that. It's yeah. a, another zero on the zero that I'm charging red for. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, yeah, and then obviously uh, Wednesday nights, uh, John has uh, taken us through the ABCs of the Christian life. Uh, we've done it many years before. Really, really good um, series. Obviously, uh, you know, for those who can't physically attend, there's a Zoom sort of scenario so if you can't get here you can still be a part of it I mean I've been doing it for the last couple of, weeks, couple of weeks where I followed along on Zoom and whatnot if you're interested and you want the stuff it's just an email and then you can you know follow along on your phone or your, your iPad whatever um, and uh, yeah it's really good I mean I remember when I first got saved I had loads of assurance issues and one I was only saying to you the other day John wasn't I I had struggles thinking because I haven't been baptised and things like that, I can't be saved. And the guy who led me to the Lord, he went, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you, you can't be saved. And I was like, what? Um, you know, well, I've never spoken tongues, what does that mean? And he went, don't worry, it'll happen. And I was like, I had real assurance issues, but read, uh, sorry, going through this ABC of uh, the Christian life, really good thing, sort of, I got it settled after like 25 minutes of, uh, of doing that study, <laughs> and even when we were going through, uh, through the other one, the other day, was it, it was assurance, wasn't it, we went through it again, and I was like, do you know what, it, it's just as good then as it was, you know, however many years ago that was, seven years ago, or something like that. Yeah. What we've got to watch, this is from experience from a, a friend uh, who committed suicide last year, mm -hmm. um, she was given so much pressure and belief.